Welcome to the Bethesda Church Podcast. We're so glad you've joined us today. If you'd like to contribute financially to this ministry, you can do so at BethesdaChurch.tv slash give and simply select the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. Let's give it up for Caleb and the worship team. Man. Celebrate that gift. Dude, I wish I had that gift. I'm going to be speaking about that today. I'm not allowed to be jealous over that. Amen. Aren't you thankful for the worship team and all that they do? Amen. It's been fun, exciting, creative. A lot of cool elements. Don't forget, one more time, Christmas musical tonight at 6 o'clock. Um, we're going to dive right into the Word of God today. We kicked off a brand new series centered around negative emotions that we experience during this time of year. We know that for a lot of people, this is the most wonderful time of the year. But for others, it's a very difficult time because this season has a way of magnifying and intensifying um, negative emotions that we might have throughout the year. Uh, and I believe one of the best gifts you could receive this Christmas is the freedom that Jesus has already paid for. Amen? To be free, not just physically and mentally, but he wants you free emotionally. And so we kicked off the series talking about anger last week, and I want to go back to our foundational scripture out of Proverbs chapter 4, verse number 23, it says, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. Out of your heart spring the issues of life. Last week, when we dealt with anger, we learned that one of the ways to be freed from anger is through the act of forgiveness. That when I offer forgiveness, I know some of us think that I'm letting the person off the hook, but how many of you understand you're really letting yourself off the hook? Uh, and so that's the antidote to anger. Today, we're going to be dealing with something that we don't hear a lot about in the church, and uh, I want to start with a story to help set it up. And the story goes like this. There was a priest who served a small congregation in an obscure countryside. He loved his people, they loved him, and he was doing God's work quite effectively. So effectively that two demons were assigned by Satan to pester him to somehow derail his ministry. They tried every method in their bag of tricks, but to no avail. The priests seemed beyond their reach. Finally, they called for a conference with the devil himself. They said to him, said to Satan, they said, we've tried everything we know. They listed their efforts. Satan listened and then offered this advice. It's quite easy, he hissed. Bring him news that his brother has been made bishop. The demons looked at one another. It seemed way too simple. They expected something much more diabolical, but it was worth the try. Nothing else had worked. Several weeks later, they returned gleefully. The old priest hadn't taken the happy news of his brother's promotion well at all. The man's former joy had turned to moping. 
His encouraging words had been replaced with grumbling and gloom. In a short time, the man's vibrant ministry had been destroyed by the green worm of envy and jealousy and a black cloud of disappointment. The bitter conclusion that it just wasn't fair. Today I'm moving to the area, moving from anger, and I want to deal with the topic of jealousy. As you're going to see throughout the series, all these enemies say something. They all say somebody owes something. Last week when we looked at anger, anger says, you owe me. You need to pay up. And the only way to overcome anger is to offer forgiveness. Jealousy, on the other hand, is not you owe me. Jealousy is God owes me. Everybody say God owes me. All right, now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of debunk that myth, but jealousy in essence is saying God owes us. From the beginning of time, jealousy has played a featured role in the story of relationships. Even from a, a Bible perspective, we know that Cain was jealous of Abel. Esau was jealous of Jacob. Joseph's older brothers were jealous of him. Even Woody felt replaced by Buzz in Toy Story. Come on, we all know about jealousy. Uh, how many of you would admit that there have been times in your life when you felt the grips of jealousy? Come on, be honest. This is, this is not one we like to talk about. Uh, and one of the reasons we don't like talking about jealousy, uh, we don't mind owning up to anger because we all have a story for our anger. And most of the time, it's a convincing story. We can understand why you're angry. Something happened to you, we get it. But we don't admit to jealousy oftentimes because jealousy, when we say things out loud we're jealous of, it seems so petty. Let me, let me throw another thing, because it is petty. It, it, it is petty. And so I've never in all the years of ministry had somebody come to the altar. I've had people say, hey, I've got anger issues. I've got unforgiveness. I've got, a I mean, they'll name, I've never had somebody say, pastor, lay hands on me. I'm jealous. People do not own this one. It's one of those things that is often undetected in our lives. And when we think of jealousy, we think of things that other people have that we lack, whether it be looks or talent or health, maybe money, connections, a position, power. We, we look at things they have that we feel we lack, and we become jealous. And we know that God could have fixed the issue. We know God is big enough that what he made happen for that person, he could have made happen to, for us. And so that's, in essence, why we think God owes us. If we see him doing it in someone else's life, Oftentimes, we begin to ask God, why aren't you doing that in my life? Um, and at the end of the day, it, it's not really your neighbor's car you want. You don't want his car. You just want one like it. You know, it's, it's, jealousy can, can rear its head. I mean, it's like your sister-in-law. You're just, you're just jealous that she fits in a size 2 pair of jeans. And you pray every Christmas and every Thanksgiving, if she would just eat one more cookie, she will never get back in those jeans. You know, we, we don't want to say this stuff out loud, uh, but that's the way jealousy works. We're reminded it's, it's not really the person that we're, we're, we're upset with. It's just what they have is a reminder of what we don't have. 
And the only way we can take it out is against them. Most of us believe that on some level, if God had taken as good care of us as he had them, then our lives would be better. I mean, some of us, we think, why did God make me so wide? And why did God make me so short? And why did I start to bald at age 25? And why didn't I have the small? Come on, y'all. Am I preaching all right? Like, we, we ask these questions. Why, why, why am I this way? Why was I born in this family? They all crazy. Like, God, could you not have given me a better family? Y'all go ahead and smile. It's all right. But we've had those kind of questions. And we, we, we start asking, God, what were you thinking? Like, why, why couldn't you have handed me a different set of cards? And we become jealous. And jealousy is one of those things. I mean, of the three emotions we're going to deal with in this series, I think this is the ugliest one. It's definitely the most petty. But I think it's probably the ugliest emotion that we're going to deal with. Uh, again, our problem isn't with the people whose stuff we were jealous of. It's, it's actually with God. Because ultimately, the person that you're jealous of cannot fix your situation. Have you ever thought about it? I mean, if you're jealous of, of someone in your family because they are a size 2 and you're not, how many of that person that's a size 2 can't fix your size 12? They're 6'6". Six, six. And you're 5'8". They can't fix that for you, right? They can't fix that. Uh, they're wealthy. Maybe you're not yet. They can't fix that for you. So ultimately, it's not a, not a people problem. We, we have a problem with what God has afforded us, what God has blessed us with. Uh, because they cannot fix the issue. Your brother, who's the all-star athlete, can't make you a better athlete. Your smart sister cannot make you smarter. And I know this idea of God owing you may sound a little absurd, and I get that. How could God owe me something? As a Christian, I've always believed, and I still believe, that I owe him everything. I, I owe him. Like, it's not that he owes, I owe him. And this is why jealousy is so easily misdirected. It's why it's hard to conquer because we think our problem is with the people who have the stuff that we want, but that's not the problem. The problem is, God, why haven't you given me what you've given them? And one thing that serves as a slave to my jealousy, it's when the person I envy or I'm jealous of, they suffer a setback of some kind. The only thing that the haves can do to make the have-nots feel better is to lose what they have. If you've ever found yourself quietly celebrating someone else's setback, you need to know that's jealousy. That's why I said it's ugly. Because the only thing that can make you feel better if you can't change a situation and your situation hasn't gotten better, the only thing that makes you feel better is when they have a setback. But that's only a temporary fix because there will always be someone smarter, always someone richer, always someone with more power, always someone who's a better communicator than you, someone who's a better spouse than you are. How many? There will always be someone who's a little further along than you. And sometimes we enter into a race with people and they don't even know they're in a race. And we can't celebrate them and we quietly hope that they have a setback of some sort to make us feel better. But it's never the fix. Until we find a way 
to deal with a jealous heart. And I, I really believe that jealousy um, is something that needs plucked up by the root. And by the end of this message, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you, I believe the Holy Spirit's going to do a work, but I also believe there are some practical things you and I have to do if we're going to conquer those feelings of jealousy. How many want to get past being jealous of other people? Anybody want to get past that? It's a big deal, all right? Big deal. Um, before giving you the solution, though, I want to take time to dissect the problem. And the reason I want to do this is because I believe jealousy is the driving force behind every single relational struggle that you will encounter in your life. From marriage problems to personnel problems at the office, all of them can be reduced down to one issue. And that issue is your heart. That issue is my heart. Every single external issue we have relationally can be boiled down to a heart problem. Every single one of them. Um, and you may say that, that you're oversimplifying. Well, James doesn't think so. In James chapter 4, starting in verse number 1, he says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come, watch this, don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have. So you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want. So you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. See, we tend to think that the disagreements that we have with people, the quarrels, the fights, the spats that we have with people, we think it's from a variety of circumstances. James, he debunks that. James says, what causes fights and quarrels among you, don't they come from your desires that battle within you? So he peels back this circumstantial, he said, she said stuff, and he goes right to the heart of the matter. The common denominator for every relational struggle you and I will ever have, they come from the desires that battle within us. James is, in effect, stating to us that our external conflicts with people are direct results of internal conflicts that have worked its way to the surface. He said it doesn't start with something external. It starts with something internal. It starts with your heart. And he uses the word desire. He says, don't they come from your desire? Everybody say desire. They, they come from your desires, and the word desire here means pleasure. James believed that if you and I find ourselves in an argument, it will be because a battle within me has spilled out onto you, or vice versa. Something in you spilled out into me. Something in me spilled out into you. And according to James, there are conflicting desires that, that are churning around inside of all of us. And if we bump into each other too hard, what's inside begins to spill out on the outside. And he says, what causes the fights? What causes the quarrels among you? Wherever you work, wherever you attend church, whatever kind of family you grew up in, if there are continual disagreements in your life with others, you can find the common denominator, that's you. Oh, wow, y'all really, amen that one. 
Like if you find yourself, you're fighting with your spouse, you're fighting with your kids, you're fighting with your coworker, you're fighting with a random person at Walmart, you're fighting at the person at the DMV. How many know if you're in all of those disagreements, you have to stop saying, well, they did. At some point, you got to look in the mirror, and I'm not talking about the one you looked at to get dressed this morning. You look nice, by the way. You look really, really good. Like, I'm glad you have a mirror. But I am talking about the mirror of God's Word, that when I look into the mirror of God's Word, it doesn't read what's going on in other people's lives. It begins to read my heart and tell me where I need to make some changes so I'm not spilling out everywhere I go. And listen to me, God is not nearly as concerned about changing that person's heart you're mad about as he is changing your heart. And the mirror of his word begins to read us and to let us know where we are. So this internal struggle that threatens our peace, that threatens your work environment, that threatens your marriage, that that threatens your ability to parent, that that threatens your friendships, that it wants to rob you of, of relational peace in every part of your life. James comes right out and says, here's the problem. You want something and you didn't get it. Whether it was just a need that was unmet, you know, respect, yeah, there's a phrase now, put some respect on my name. Okay. Right? You know, we, 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 we're not getting what we want, and James says because we don't get what we want, we quarrel and we fight. The source of every conflict you and I will ever experience, we didn't get what we want. In other words, we couldn't have a Burger King faith. Have it your way. The term want, James says you, you want and you don't have. The word want here carries the force of, of to yearn for something. I mean, you desperately want this, whether it be respect or love or intimacy or money or that position or, you know, wh- whatever it is, you, you, you lust for it. You strongly desire it. And if you have children, you know where, where I'm coming from today because you're very familiar with what James is talking about as well because if you have children and you hear them arguing, you know the real issue is not the toy. The real issue is not the DVD. The real issue is not who got to sit in which seat. The real issue is two people want their way and one of them's not getting it. And James says, adults act like children. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. We act like children. Man, there have been times I've acted like a child. And I look back and say, why did I act that way? You know why I acted that way? Because that's what was in me. We always want to say, well, this happened because of this, or this happened because... No, it happened because it's in you, baby. It's in you. It wouldn't have came out if it wasn't in you. If it's not in you, nobody can bring it out of you. Now watch this. Jesus said to a group of religious leaders one day, he said, it's not what goes into the body that defiles a person. He says, it's what comes out of the body that defiles the body. 
In other words, if your heart is not right, nothing in your life will be right. We live and we lead from the heart. The condition of our heart is the grid by which we live and we lead. Now, some tendencies or some traits of people who are jealous. Y'all want a couple of those? Some of you are like, what's it look like to be jealous? Well, here's just a couple if you want to write these down. Um, Number one, they are quick to point out the faults of others. They're just quick to find the fault. Secondly, here's another one. They are threatened by more talented and more popular people. See, you know what? Here's why we don't want to talk about it. It's so petty. Three, they hinder the success of others. Four, they say things like, I'm not jealous. I just don't think they do a good job. I'm having a good time, can you tell? No one typically confesses to being jealous. It's a lot like greed. It's two people I've never met, greedy people or jealous people. Nobody says, Pastor, I'm greedy and jealous. I'd probably fall over if somebody said, I'm greedy and jealous, pray for me. Angry, yes. Hurt, yes. Offended, just come to church if you want to meet the offended people. They all go to church. Every offended person I know goes to church. Come on, y'all, help me out this morning. Um, the, jealous, the jealous person secretly celebrates the failure of others. Jealousy is also contagious. In other, what, what I mean by that is, is when there's jealousy, it can start out, I'm here for you until I find out you're here for you. And once I find out you're here for you, now I'm going to be here for me. Jealous is contagious. Look at what James said in that second verse. He says, you desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. He uses the word kill here. Now, most murders, on a practical level, most murders that are committed are committed by someone who wanted something that they didn't get, so they took it. Even more to the point, most murderers had personal relationship with their victims. Investigators always begin their investigations with family and so-called friends. Think about this. If you've ever been mad enough to hurt someone, it's probably because that person didn't give you or someone you loved his or her due. You were not getting what you wanted. So I'm going to take matters into my own hands. James uses the word covet in this passage as well. He said um, that you covet, you cannot get what you want, you quarrel and you fight. You covet, but you do not get what you want. This word, as used here, means to hotly pursue. When you covet something, you hotly pursue it and you strive after it. The picture is of someone who is constantly trying to meet a need And it seems like they can never meet that need. Like you just keep trying to get this need met, but it's not being met. In the end, you're not getting what you want. And James is not talking about a surface level need, something that can be fully and finally satisfied. He's talking about the type of of yearning and longing for like an appetite for food. That's what it's it's so much deeper. Um, As I thought about it, this message is, is so deep because... 
It's like if I go home and eat lunch after church, okay, let's just say 1 o'clock I eat. Um, I don't know if you, you guys are like me, but I can eat and be full and satisfied and be content. But three hours later, guess where I'm at? I'm back at the kitchen. You know why? Because that desire can never be fully and finally. It's not like you eat once and I don't ever eat again until Jesus comes. My needs have been met. So it's, it, he's talking about the things that can never be fully and finally satisfied. And, and so the, the desires are the desires that are unquenchable thirst. And for, for many of us, it's things like it's, it's money, it's recognition, it's success, it's progress, it's intimacy, it's sex, it's, it's re- new relationships, it's partnerships, it's, it's, it's I'm, I'm going to start this and start that. And we get addicted to things that, that we just, and no matter what we do, we're still unsatisfied. We're, we're, it's never final. It's never, that's it. It's just always there. And C.S. Lewis points out in Mere Christianity, he says, the more you feed an appetite, the more it escalates in intensity. He says, appetites grow through indulgence, not neglect. An example, gluttons think just as much about food as starving people. People with power want more power. People that are having sex all the time outside of marriage, they're going to keep having sex all the time outside of marriage. People, whether it's money, whether it's power, whether whatever it is, if they're bouncing from one partner to another, they're going to continue to bounce from one partner to another because it's never fully satisfied. The point is our desires and pleasures are not best dealt with by continually trying to satisfy them. This is why every single relational problem you've ever had can be reduced down to one person is trying to satisfy what they want and you're trying to satisfy what you want, and now we have conflict. Everybody's in it for themselves. The result, we quarrel and we fight. Now, this is where I'm really going to preach. Some of you are like, I thought we were about done. This is the heavy stuff. Because whether we're Christian or not Christian, we blame everyone for why we are the way we are. There's got to be a scapegoat. There's got to be someone that we put the blame on. And and we all have the tendency to place our issues in the lap of someone else. They are responsible. And blaming, blaming others or any situation has never resolved anything. I have never met a couple who had an incredible marriage and said, here's how we got here, Pastor. We got here by blaming each other. Come on, y'all. We, you, don't, you don't arrive at a healthy place in your marriage or in any relationship by placing blame. Do you know what blame is? Blame is an admission that I can't be happy without your cooperation. That I cannot be happy unless you cooperate. To blame is to acknowledge dependence on other people. And it, it, it's, it's kind of, it's sick because the dependent, it, it isn't that you just act right and then I can be happy. It's that I got to be able to control you. 
And if I can control you and you act the way I want you to act, then I can be happy. But the Bible doesn't say the fruit of controlling others is peace, joy, love, all that stuff. The Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is peace. So whether you act right or act a fool, I can have peace, joy, love, kindness, self-control. Why? Because I'm in relationship with him. I'll give him a real praise if you're going to. I know, I know, this, this is where we're living, though. And, and a lot of the people that place the blame, they will say things like, I'm just independent. No, if you keep blaming everybody, you're showing you live at the height of codependence. Because your happiness is connected to how everybody else acts. I refuse to put my joy, my peace, my happiness is the, pro- the promise of God. I refuse to put all of that in your lap and you be responsible for all of that in my life. Jesus has already paid the price for me to have that kind of peace. And it's not dependent on you. And that's not me being me. I hope that the way I act is not controlling your level of peace. Some of y'all had a hard time with that, amen. I'd really need my pastor to be on his best behavior. I'm going to let you down. I am human. You are human. All right? So it's, we're, we're, not, we're not individually, we're not God. We're serving God. Right? We're growing in our relationship with God. All right. Man, I thought... 2023 was going to be a year of major discipleship, but I've already started today. Started today. Um, Until we're willing to fully embrace this truth that James so clearly spells out for all of us, we have no choice but to try to squeeze our happiness and contentment out of the people around us. The problem is is they are also trying to squeeze their happiness out of us and eventually everybody suffocates and nobody's living the blessed life. Christians are crazy. Y'all know that? How are you? I'm blessed and highly favored. We, we, We just throw out things. We just say things. And then we go home and fight like cats and dogs, like throwing pots and pans and then... Stop throwing the pots and pans and speak in tongues for a few minutes. And then, how many are we crazy? How many know we got to do better? Can I say that? We got to do better. Am I mad at you that you threw the pot in the pan and cussed a little bit and then spoke? No, I'm not mad at you, but you got to do better. Come on, hit your neighbor and say, you got to do better. That's the wrong neighbor. Tell somebody else, you got to do better you got to do better. So how, how do we fix this? How do we fix this? James says, you have not because you ask not. James is saying, what you're trying to squeeze out of people, you've been given an invitation all along. God said, you could have avoided feeling that way. You could have avoided that fight, that quarrel. You could have avoided feeling that jealous over your lack of having something, if you would have just brought it all to God. You have not because you ask not. God says, I want you to bring it to me. Take it to God. And, and some of y'all, you, what you do with this part of the sermon, you're like, okay, he told me to take it to him. And so we go home and we start praying prayer like, God, I'll need you to just, you know, change them, 
fix them. God, if you could let their income come down a little bit. God, their leadership influence, bring it down a couple notches. We start praying for them. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying bring your frustration, your discontentment, your, your uh, jealousy, your envy. We, we don't go and spend our time praying for God to, to bring that person down to where we're now comfortable. I mean, that's messed up. Like we, we bring what we feel we're lacking into the presence of God. He said you have not because you ask not. And, and, and instead of trying to squeeze your happiness out of people, who cannot meet, listen, your spouse is amazing, but they can't meet all your needs. Don't make them God. Don't put that much pressure on a human to meet every single need in your life. Now, does that mean as a spouse we don't try to serve no, that's not what I'm saying at all. I'm just saying don't, don't make them God and squeeze out, trying to squeeze out of them things that only God can meet in your life. Um, 1 Peter 5 and 7 says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. So God says bring every frustration, bring that jealousy, bring, bring what you feel you're lacking, bring it all into my presence. Bring it there. Listen, if you don't pour out your heart in the presence of God, you will, you will, you will, you'll be terrible to people. You will spill out on them frustrations that is so much deeper than what's going on because you have not learned the art of taking the heaviness you feel and just spending some time in the presence. Your heavenly father wants to meet with you there, and he wants to absorb all your anxiety, all your fear, all, all your trouble. He says, cast your care on me because I care for you. How many are thankful we have a God that says, bring it to me? And it's a safe place. You bring all that stuff to your spouse, they may not be real happy with you afterwards. You may end up on the couch. Come on, y'all. I need you to smile. Y'all doing okay? All right, we're going to go a little bit further, and then we'll wrap it up. He says, when you ask, in verse 3, he says, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Now, this is the part of the message where, you know, it's like God takes all the fun out of it because in one level he's saying you have not because you ask not. So I need Pastor Chad to start, you know, doing the head bob and the God's going to give you everything you want. A little bit of sweat. Yeah. Stomp a little. Have several people stand up and somebody take off running. Ah, that's what we want. But God, God says, uh, there's some things you're asking for I'm not going to give you. Oh, praise the Lord. This is good, you know. That he said, because you're going to spend it on your own pleasures. Let me say it like this, re rephrase it. God loves you too much to give you everything you ask for. It's just like your children. You bless them, you give them, I mean, you, you provide, you want what's best for them, but you don't give them everything they ask for. 
If that was the case, I would have a unicorn in my backyard. My son, who's not old enough to drive, would have a Lamborghini parked. How many? That would not be good for him, right? You, some of you think you're mature enough that he can give you every single thing you, you want. How many? We don't serve a genie. I'm having a good time. Yes. He says in James 1.17, let me, let me say this. When God says no, trust him. If you've ever asked for something and he said, no, I'm not giving you that. Now, when it's, let's clarify, because some of you, the wheels are turning. You're thinking, what about healing? What about deliverance? Anything that's been provided for in the atonement is already yours. Can I clarify what, what we're preaching? But some of us, we, we asking. Lord, I need uh, a house in um, the Bahamas. And he's not against you having a house in the Bahamas. But some of you, if you had a house in the Bahamas, we'd never see you again. Come on, y'all. Right? Y'all know, you get the heart of what I'm saying. In the atonement, healing, you better claim that. Deliverance, claim that. A, A whole merit, claim that. Like, the things he's provided for, Yes, but how many have some things you want God to do in your life that isn't necessarily about the atonement and what he atoned for? So he's not going to say yes to every single thing. I hope that makes sense. But James 1.17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. So every good thing that comes our way comes from our heavenly Father which is more reason why we should take our unmet needs, our heartfelt desires, and even our embarrassing wants and wishes to him. Again, it's easier to own up to anger than it is jealousy. But how many believe we can get rid of jealousy today? Anybody believe we can get rid of it? It's dangerous because it shapes our attitude towards other people. It's hard to love someone you're jealous of. I want to take it a step further. It's hard to submit and honor someone who's over you that you're jealous of. It's, it's nearly impossible. Eventually, jealousy takes control of our attitudes towards people. And, and what, what happens is they've entered into a race that they didn't even know they were in because you pulled them into it. Without any real effort on our part, jealousy becomes resentment. It always turns into resentment. And resentment always needs justification. So we start looking for justification. And we will look until we find it. And once we're at that level, jealousy has no bounds. It has the power to shape our attitude toward entire categories of people. When you hear people say, oh, they're just rich people. Come again? So now you've blown off every person who's wealthy because you're jealous. You hear phrases like, well, they're just wealthy people. Well, I hope you are prepared to never be wealthy because what you don't honor or respect will never be attracted into your life. Or those mega church pastors. So you've thrown away every, every single pastor You know what it is? Jealousy is the root. 
And this is why nobody confesses to being greedy or jealous because it seems so petty. And again, it is. Ridding the heart of jealousy begins with this recognition. To resent him or her or to be jealous of him or her has nothing to do with him or her. The problem is I'm not getting what I want. And so I've got to take a harder look into the mirror of God's word. And I would say in whatever areas you feel like you're lacking, I'm driving an old car and they got a new one. I, I'm watching an 18-inch television and they got a 70-inch new one. I know these are just small little examples, but I'm saying take your old house, your old car, your 18-inch TV, your 40-inch waist, come on, y'all, your whatever it is, and make your list, but don't take it to people. Bring it all into God's presence. There's where we deal with stuff. That's the right way. So we say a lot of times, God, you, you owe me is what we're saying with jealousy. And if you find that a bit daunting, you're probably on the verge of a breakthrough because the truth is, if you think God owes you, I would encourage you to go home tonight and start reading in the book of Matthew, maybe Mark, Luke, or John. Read the Gospels. And the truth is, what you will find out is we owed God a debt that we could not pay. So he paid it, thereby erasing forever the possibility of his owing us anything at all. God owes us nothing. He owes us nothing. Worship team, you better come or I'm just going to keep meddling is what they used to call this. Then we would holler, meddle on preacher, meddle on. I didn't hear any metal ons this morning, so we'll, we'll wrap this up. The heart of jealousy is the lie that God owes us. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way. How many love the word of God? And this is just, as I read this, I'm comforted knowing that I have a high priest that everything I felt or, you know, gone through, he, he, he empathizes in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So, I've got to bring all this stuff into the presence of God, understanding I have a high priest who understands where I'm at. I bring it all to him. And just like forgiveness is the antidote for anger, we have to understand that celebration is the antidote to jealousy. Now I'm about ready to bob my head and, oh, you get ready. The heart that I've broken the back of jealousy, the heart posture, is I can celebrate you when God takes you up. I feel the presence of God in this room. When I see God use you, I can celebrate it. When I see God prospering you, I can celebrate it. When I see God blessing your business, I, 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 can, 
I can celebrate it. That, that is breaking the heart. And, and even if it starts out, like you really don't feel that, you're like, man, I wish that was me. I'm telling you, be intentional to celebrate. Celebrate the person who wants your job. Celebrate the person who God is raising up. Celebrate your neighbor who got the new car. You say, well, that just seems so, you know, not authentic if that's not what I'm feeling, Pastor. Well, let me give you an example. I can get on the treadmill with a bad attitude, or I can get on the treadmill with a good attitude. But it doesn't matter if my attitude is bad or my attitude is good. If I keep getting on the treadmill, the results are the same. Choices lead, feelings follow. In other words, I'm intentional to celebrate, and even if I don't really feel that, eventually my feelings will catch up with my decision. Come on, somebody, give God a praise right there. We got to break jealousy. There's no place for it. How can God trust us with the true riches, with power and anointing and the ability to cast out devils and heal the sick and evangelize our world when we jealous of one another? We can break that thing real quick. Start celebrating one another. Start, start applauding one another. Be quick to tell your coworker you did a good job. In this world where everybody's in it for themselves, this message goes against the grain because everybody's in it for me. But in the kingdom, we live by a different set of rules. And in the kingdom, everything is, is upside down to the world. The way up in the kingdom is down. You want to be great in the kingdom? Serve. You want to be celebrated in the kingdom? Learn to celebrate. Couple things for homework, then I'm going to let you go. Let's let, make this real practical. If your sister-in-law looks good in the jeans, tell her. I hate to be that prank. Because you know what you, know what you, you have? Who does she think she is? Some of y'all are guilty. You are guilty. If, if they do a good job, tell them. If you think a good thought, Craig Crochelle taught this years ago. If you think a good thought about somebody, stop what you're doing and tell them. Because you may not have that same thought again the next day or the next day or the next day. But at that moment, you thought a good thought, tell them. Communicate it. That's what the kingdom looks like. couple things. If you really want to get healed and live whole, make a list of all the things you wanted and didn't get. Okay, make a list. Don't take it to your spouse. Make them feel inadequate because your needs are not met. They're not God. All right? Don't take it to the coworkers. Don't take it to your best friend. Take that list of all the things you wanted and didn't get and take it to God. But I want you to make a second list. I want you to jot down everything God has done for you, everything God has given you. 
And I want you to take that list into his presence as well because he is a faithful, faithful God. And not only take that list, I want you to learn how to thank God for what he's already done because you don't qualify for what he's going to do until you're thankful for what he's already done. Give him some praise right there. I promise to quit. Right there, I'm done. Stand, stand. I want you to bow your heads, close your eyes with me for just a moment. I want to speak to people in the room that the truth is you're not in right relationship with God. You know that there are things in your life that are separating you from Christ. Maybe you're, you're, you're just, you know, I'm not ready for heaven. I know I'm not. I don't know Jesus the way I should. There's sin in my life. I need to repent. I need to turn from those things, and I need to follow Jesus. I'm not going to embarrass you, but if I'm speaking to you this morning and you identify with that, you say, you know what, I don't, I don't want to leave like that. I want to leave knowing that I'm in right relationship with Jesus. If that's you, would you just throw your hand up right there where you are and say, Pastor, that's me. Thank you for this hand in the middle and this hand in the middle. I see both those hands. Anyone else? You say, that's me and one over here. God bless you. I see that. Awesome. Anyone else? Before we pray, anyone else? Don't want to miss anyone. I want us to pray together out loud as we celebrate people coming into relationship with Jesus. Just let's express this out loud. Say, dear Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I'm a sinner. I've committed sins. I need a Savior. I can't save myself. So I ask you, Jesus, to forgive me for all my sins. I repent of those sins, and I choose to follow you. Thank you for saving me and changing me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Give God a praise right there. Come on, maybe a little shout right there. Some good stuff. Before we pray, altar team, staff, go ahead and get, get in place. I, I, I want to say this. I was ending the service at 9, and the Holy Spirit just checked me and said the church would be a whole lot better off if we all just learned to mind our own business. I think I might need to say that again. We would all be a whole lot better off if we just learned. Let me say it a little more fresh. If you just mind your business. And instead of worrying about everybody else, come on, just tap your neighbor and say, fix yourself. That works, doesn't it? Listen, this altar is open. If you need prayer for anything at all, we're here to pray with you and for you as the worship team comes. Give Jesus one more praise today. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Bethesda Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our website, BethesdaChurch.tv. Thank you for joining us and have a great day.